At this time, we'll have a split sermon by Art Williams, a Christian soldier's dedication to the Civil War. were converging on his <coughs> converging on his farm and what would be the first major battle of the Civil War Bull Run or Manassas as the Confederates called it would soon rage across the aging Virginians farm a Union shell going so far as to explode in the summer kitchen. Now, McLean moved his family away from Manassas, far south and west of Richmond, out of harm's way, he prayed, to a dusty little crossroads called Appomattox Courthouse. And it was there in his living room, three and a half years later, that Lee surrendered to Grant. And Wilmer McLean could rightfully say, the war began in my front yard and ended in my front parlor. The video clip you just saw and the two that will follow along with some of the facts in this message today are from a film by Ken Burns, The Civil War, a production of Florentine Films and W-E-A-T-T-V, and it aired on PBS Television Network. If you've never seen it, I would recommend it, or if you want to pick up the DVD, it's a worthwhile watch. Wilbur McLean wanted no involvement in the Civil War, and he sought to avoid it by relocating. And perhaps not unlike Christians that are to be in the world, but not part of it, the war caught up to him perhaps just as sin catches up to us and overtakes us. The Christian war was fought externally and internally. It is fought every day with some battles being won, others being lost, and the ultimate victory achieved through Christ. The internal conflict is the focus of this message today. My purpose is motivational, not educational. The motivation I'm referring to isn't like that of a sports team before the big game. It's not rah-rah, macho, let's go beat the opposition, high-fiving, getting everybody psyched up. It's not the cheerleaders waving the pom-poms with the band playing in the background. I'm not trying to get you revved up so when you leave here today, you are ready to go out and slay the first spiritual dragon you come upon. Rather, it's motivation from the heart to form a better heart because a better heart has a way of putting life's events in the proper perspective. In Luke 6.45, Luke 6.45, it says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. And continuing on in Matthew 6, 19 and 20, Matthew 6, 
19 and 20. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break in for to steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The operative question then is, where and what do we treasure? Paraphrasing this, what we treasure, what we value, what we love, will have our focus, will have our attention, will have our efforts, will have our works, will have our energy, obtain, uh, uh, have our resources, and our time, which is our life. The North and the South in the Civil War each treasured their political and economic viewpoints strongly enough to fight and die for it. Three million men fought in the American Civil War and 600,000 died. What we treasure is important, and here's an example of it. If a person's money is their supreme treasure, then say they stuff their money into their mattress for safekeeping. What impact do you think that that would have upon that man? Perhaps they may place multiple locks on the door to their bedroom to keep people out. They may stay home a lot. They may have a guard door dog in the room or outside of the room. They may place bars on the windows to prevent others from breaking through the windows. And they may limit access of others from coming into the room. And they may take time to count the money weekly to be sure none has somehow been stolen. What we treasure motivates us to take actions. And what we treasure defines what our works will be. How important is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in our everyday life? How much in real terms and by real events events that we decide to undertake and by them do we demonstrate the treasured value that we have on the shed blood of Jesus. The shed blood of Jesus is not a once a year event we take part in but rather it's a daily intervention happening in our own personal lives. Do you have the IOU written sitting on the nightstand ready to hand to him at the end of the day? It's important to consider this because failure is not an option. We have an earnest of the spirit, but that is not necessarily a guarantee of life after death if we fail to walk the walk, talk the talk, and fulfill our love obligation to him from the heart. In Luke 10, 27, Luke 10, 27, breaking into the middle of a thought. And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. I want to focus in on the first part of that. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. 
Because we've already seen in Matthew 6, 19 and 20, where your treasure is, there will be your heart. So then, to love the Lord with all your heart, we must treasure those things of the Lord. The things that are important to him. This means valuing him and making sacrifices for him. What's the best sacrifice you can make for Christ? It's your life because it's your time. How you spend your time, what you do with your time, is your life. And perhaps doing what may bring you personally, personally some tangible or intangible return. Perhaps we should take something specific and, and do that for someone else wherein we don't get a tangible return, even if we don't like doing that particular activity. A few times out of one's entire life is a small price. Are the sacrifices that Jesus made for us meaningful enough to you and I to make these kinds of efforts? And if we do fail to do these efforts, these sacrifices for Christ, then what? Well, in Revelation 6, 10, and 11, there's, some, there's a couple of scriptures there that I want to look at because there's a question involved at the end of the second, uh, verse 11. Revelation 6, 10, and 11. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Why? Why should they be killed? It almost sounds like they have to be killed. Why is it that these fellow servants and brethren should be killed? There's several possible reasons. I want to focus in on only one of those reasons. And the reason I want to focus on is the possibility that there is something deficient in them. And God sees the need to prove them by the ultimate test of faith. Perhaps the flaw could have been weeded out through their daily lives and activities if they were cognizant of the deficiency and willing to work it out with him. It is so easy to allow things in our modern Babylonian world by its complexity, by its innovations, that the joys of this life, and later on we're going to come back to that term, and please don't forget that term. I think it's key to the things that we do in our lives and the sacrifices that we make for him. That the joys of this life consume our attention and make us unaware of our deficiencies before him. A Christian soldier's dedication to the internal civil war can parallel certain aspects of the American Civil War. The American Civil War is not unique among wars, but being a war, that is, a civil war, a war within a nation where the combatants on both sides are from that nation, it is not 
unlike the war, the strife between the two natures that Paul describes in Romans, Romans 7, 15 through 25. i just reference you to that. I'm not going to turn there. Paul concludes his discourse in those scriptures that the deliverance, the victory, comes through Jesus. But along, the way, but along the way, the scriptures tell us we are responsible for many of our actions and conduct. Jesus expounded them in the Sermon on the Mount, and, in the, and the New Testament is filled with further examples and admonitions for us. And so it is, with all of us that resist the pulls of the flesh, Satan's temptations, and we who oppose ourselves in our own personal Christian civil war, and we who surrender to Christ, to fulfill these admon admonitions. When ancient Israel left Egypt, they left the bondage of the Pharaoh. But when they left, they took themselves along on the journey. And so along with them came their own carnality, their human weaknesses, the deceptiveness of the human heart. The triumphs and failures are recorded so that we have them as an example to help us along our journey and when we accept Christ, we become a new creature. And we leave Egypt, symbolic of sin. We leave the old man in the grave. And we leave the carnal ways, the fruits of the flesh, and the lifestyle of destructive ways behind. For the Battle of Bull Run, Sullivan Ballou, a major in the 2nd Rhode Island Volunteers, Wrote home to his wife. You're at, you're at the end. You're in the middle. It follows right after the first. You see. Dear Sarah, the indication. Can you, can you pull back to the bit, disc here and just play it off the disc?
The Civil War was fought in 10,000 places, from Valverde, New Mexico, and Tullahoma, Tennessee, to St. Albans, Vermont, and Fernandina on the Florida coast. More than three million Americans fought in it, and over 600,000 men, 2% of the population, died in it. American homes became headquarters. American churches and schoolhouses sheltered the dying. And huge foraging armies swept across American farms and burned American towns. Americans slaughtered one another wholesale here in America, in their own cornfields and peach orchards, along familiar roads and by waters with old American names. In two days at Shiloh, on the banks of the Tennessee, more American men fell than in all previous American wars combined. At Cold Harbor, 7,000 Americans fell in 20 minutes. Men who had never strayed 20 miles from their own front doors now found themselves soldiers in great armies, fighting epic battles hundreds of miles from home. They knew they were making history, and it was the greatest adventure of their lives. The war made some rich, ruined others, and changed forever the lives of all who lived through it. changed lives forever, changed forever the lives of all who lived through it. That's what year after year of annual renewal of the covenant of Christ is about, the result of walking with Christ, striving throughout our lives to become what he wants us to be while opposing ourselves in our own ways and winning the war by surrendering to him. The result changed forever the lives of all who lived through it. And so when we first accept Christ, we begin, the, we begin the war to oppose ourselves. When we begin our journey, we get a fresh start. But in getting a fresh start, we also take ourselves along. Our personal civil war goes where we go. Skeletons in the closet and all the rest. I want to do some comparisons of the American Civil War to the Christian Civil War. The seeds for the American Civil War were sown by the Founding Fathers having retained slavery. Thomas Jefferson said retaining slavery is like holding a wolf by the ears. You don't like it, but you don't dare let it go. The Civil War started in earnest some 80 years later in 1861. The seeds of the Christian Civil War were sown in the Garden of Eden. The Christian Civil War started in earnest a little less than 2,000 years ago with the redemptive shed blood of Christ. The American War, Civil War was fought in 10,000 places. The Christian Civil War has been fought in perhaps more than 100,000 places around the entire globe. The number that successfully fought that fight and now rest in victory is known only to God. 
The task before us, in addition to the Great Commission, is to assure that we ourselves are counted among those having obtained the victory. Perhaps the most notable speech to come out of the Civil War is Lincoln's address at the dedication of the Battle of Gettysburg. Battlefield at Gettysburg. The keynote speaker for the day was a noted orator, Edward Everett. He spoke for two hours. Lincoln followed him and spoke for two minutes. Afterward, Everett, Mr. Everett penned a little note to Mr. Lincoln and said, I should flatter myself if I could say, in two hours, I came as close to the central core of the occasion as you did in two minutes. Lincoln started his address with the age of the nation and the ability of the nation to endure the war, the sacrifice of those that gave their lives. And he finished calling for a renewed dedication to finish the work advanced by those that sacrificed all. <clears throat> that there would be a new birth of freedom so that the government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. The words transcended the event of the day for which they were written. The struggle, the endurance, the sacrifice, the unfinished work, the goal yet to be achieved can be applied to many great endeavors occurring over millennia, and especially so to the work before today's Christian soldier. And perhaps in some other place and in some other time, a similar letter or speech could have been written by one of the great evangelists that laid the foundation for the churches whereby those that came afterwards and built upon those foundations, whether thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, or just decades ago. The evangelist might say it this way. About 2,016 years ago, our father brought forth his son conceived as a man for the redemption of mankind with the intent of bringing about a new world dedicated to the proposition that the establishment of that world would be through the kingdom of God beginning with the redemption of mankind. We are now engaged in a great civil war, testing whether man's faith and dedication can endure to the attainment of that proposition. The brave men, living and dead, that have gone before us, we must not forget what they have done. For it is to us, the living, to be dedicated to the unfinished work which they who fought before us have brought so nobly and advanced, that we take increased devotion, that we highly resolve that those who have gone before us will not have labored in vain, that redeemed mankind will, under God, and through the power of the redemptive blood of Christ, have a new birth of freedom and live in the never-ending kingdom of God a new birth of freedom indeed, free from all, the bond, all that bonds us in physical existence. But before Lincoln penned his now famous words, there were men that were highly resolved taking actions to preserve the Union cause and the Confederate cause also. Please note I'm wearing both blue and gray today. I am not taking any sides. Many, perhaps most of us, will not be called upon to give the last full measure 
of our physical existence, as many Christian martyrs have been called upon before us. But in another way, if we are not changed at the twinkling of an eye at the return of Christ, then we will all die on that battlefield. The battlefield that is found where we oppose ourselves, resist sin, resist Satan, and help others into the kingdom of God and seek to accomplish the Great Commission. War is one of the events that is capable of inflicting upon large portions of mankind a great range and intensity of emotions. To the winner, the joy of victory. To the the vanquished, the agony of defeat. And to both, fear and sorrow over lost loved ones, lost treasure, broken dreams, and broken hearts. One man, Sullivan Ballou, while encamped with the Union forces, wrote home to his wife, Sarah. And while his letter is focused on the American Civil War battles laying before him, he expressed Christian beliefs, and his letter home to Sarah exemplified the virtues of honor, integrity, and dedication necessary for winning the Christian soldier's spiritual civil war. We will preview his letter by taking what he wrote and applying it to our spiritual war. He begins with expressing the confidence he has in the cause that he was fighting for. This parallels the confidence that we need in God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the confidence that they will complete the work that they have started. Remember, we talked about what you treasure at the beginning. If you don't make this cause your, tre- your treasure, then you may very well be found lacking. Second is courage to fight the battle. Now, in our society, we have to be wise about how we go about doing that. But standing up for Christ, not following the crowd, not succumbing to peer pressure, not being part of the way of the world. It's the way we apply that courage. Sullivan Ballou applied that courage in battle. But he also recognized the triumph that was needed. And he specified the government, of course. But the triumph that we need is the returning Christ to set the world right and on the path. And he expressed a debt to those that have gone before him those that have the faith that have gone before us and have labored before us. And then he brings up the willingness to lay down all the joys of this life for the cause. Sullivan Lou expressed this, and his cause was the civil government. Our cause is immeasurably greater. He then went on to express the love he had for his wife, his children, and country. And amazing thing is, Sullivan Blue doesn't seem to waver with concern about after I'm dead, who will do, and you can fill in the blank. You know, we get concerned who's going to take care of my children, who's going to take care of my wife, or if I just get wounded or maimed. And he didn't have Obamacare or Social Security or Medicare or Medicaid or any of that. But he wasn't seemed to be concerned about it. He then asks for forgiveness for his faults, his pains, his thoughtlessness, and his foolishness. 
And it, here, in a reflective moment, he puts into perspective, perspective what is really important in what was vanity, bigotry, and foolishness. Not understanding what we do now about death, he went on to express a hope, if it was possible, but after death, if he was to be killed, that he could return in spirit and be there for his wife, Sarah, to help her in good times and bad. He then finishes with hope, trust, and the unwavering faith in the resurrection. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 7.3, Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. I'll leave you today with the words and the story of Solomon Ballou. A week before the Battle of Bull Run, Sullivan Ballou, a major in the 2nd Rhode Island Volunteers, wrote home to his wife in Smithfield. July the 14th, 1861, Washington, D.C. Dear Sarah, the indications are very strong that we shall move in a few days, perhaps tomorrow, and lest I should not be able to write you again, I feel impelled to write a few lines that may fall under your eye when I am no more. I have no misgivings about or lack of confidence in the cause in which I am engaged, and my courage does not halt or falter. I know how American civilization now leans upon the triumph of the government, and how great a debt we owe to those who went before us through the blood and suffering of the revolution. And I am willing, perfectly willing, to lay down all my joys in this life to help maintain this government and to pay that debt. Sarah, my love for you is deathless. It seems to bind me with mighty cables that nothing but omnipotence can break. And yet my love of country comes over me like a strong wind and bears me irresistibly with all those chains to the battlefield. The memory of all the blissful moments I have enjoyed with you come crowding over me, and I feel most deeply grateful to God and you that I've enjoyed them for so long. And how hard it is for me to give them up and burn to ashes the hopes of future years, when God willing we might still have lived and loved together and see our boys grown up to honorable manhood around us. If I do not return, my dear Sarah, never forget how much I loved you, nor that when my last breath escapes me on the battlefield, it will whisper your name. Forgive my many faults and the many pains I have caused you. How thoughtless, how foolish I have sometimes been. But, oh, Sarah, if the dead can come back to this earth and flit unseen around those they love, I shall always be with you in the brightest day and the darkest night. Always. Always. And when the soft breeze fans your cheek 
It shall be my breath, or the cool air, your throbbing temple. It shall be my spirit passing by. Sarah, do not mourn me dead. Think I am gone, and wait for me, for we shall meet again. Sullivan Ballou was killed a week later at the first battle of Bull Run.